Rewind of the Living Dead is brought to you by Germ Death Hand Sanitizer, the only hand sanitizer with 66.6% ethyl alcohol, kills 99.9% of germs, and smells real good doing it too. So you can check them out at germdeath.com. Visit them at Facebook and Instagram at germdeath. Rewind of the Living Dead is also brought to you by ReanimatedRecords.com, your place for movies. That's Blu-rays, DVDs, VHS tapes. They got that. There's music, vinyl, CDs, cassette tapes. You name it, they got it. Vintage, new, used, all that kind of cool stuff. Cool t-shirts from bands, from horror films, posters, uh, action figures. You name it, they got it at ReanimatedRecords.com. Fair warning, Rewind of the Living Dead is a review show, so spoilers are ahead. Originally inspired by a creepy poem by Ed Justin that also served as the basis for the Misfit song of the same name, the De Laurentiis Entertainment Group began development for a film about a vengeful spirit conjured to exact justice for those who have been wronged. The studio eventually brought the project to famed creature creator Stan Winston, best known for his work in films such as The Terminator, as well as Aliens and Terminator 2, which earned him several Academy Awards in order to develop the right look for the monster in this particular movie. Winston was immediately hooked by the story and decided to use this vehicle as his directorial debut. While he was working on the story with another writer, Winston actually allowed his team to help craft the look for the creature, and one of his employees ended up wearing the suit in the movie. The end result was a story about a grief-stricken father calling on a local witch to conjure a creature to seek vengeance on a group of teenagers who accidentally killed his son. Afraid raising the dead ain't within my power. Will it be alright? Should I be afraid? Looking for an old woman. She lives somewhere in the mountains hereabouts. All she can do is take you straight to hell. You go home and you bury your boy. Some folks will say is how she's got powers. Who are you? Ed Harley. What do you want, Ed Harley? Say You're looking for vengeance. Vengeance. Say no graveyard way back deep in them woods. The thing you're looking for is in there. It was an accident. In the latest episode of Rewind of the Living Dead, we're going to head up to Razorback Hollow and dig up some bones as we look back on the 1988 cult classic horror film, Pumpkinhead.
Welcome back to Rewind of the Living Dead. I am Damon Martin. And I'm Patrick Guerra. And Patrick, this week we are going to be talking about a cult classic horror film from 1988. We love a good 80s horror film around here. And this one, starring the great Lance Hendrickson, of course, from Aliens fame, is Pumpkinhead. And this was a movie I had seen previously and then kind of revisited for the podcast, but you had actually never seen it before. I had never seen it. Uh, don't don't take away my horror card, please. Uh, but no, I, I hadn't seen Pumpkinhead. And and it's, it is, I knew it was a classic. It's just one of those things. It's like late 80s was kind of tricky. If I didn't have it on VHS or some, or one of my cousins didn't have it, I probably didn't see it. So there's this weird little gap right there in, in, in the late 80s, just because I was, I was at this age where I couldn't rent videos on my own and my parents were not going to let me rent horror films. Uh, they're Catholic people. They were like, no, no, you can't do that stuff. You have to watch other kinds of pain and suffering that's real <laughs> and terrible and will make you depressed and all that shit. Um, so, but I couldn't rent horror films. So late 80s was, I was very dependent on what I could uh, mine from other people and Pumpkinhead was one of those ones that slipped away and never got back. But Damon, we got to watch it for the show and it's always fun to look back on a cult classic and kind of examine it with fresh eyes. Yeah. Now I'm a big believer and I know I've said this on the show before. I'm a big believer in, um, you know, a movie like this, seeing it when it's originally out or within a few years and then seeing it again later to truly appreciate it because, you know, we've talked about, you know, we've done reviews on this show of eighties and, you know, other films, that come out mostly eighties They have come out and we review them on the show. And there's some I've loved, like seeing them for the first time I've loved. And there's others I've seen where I'm kind of like, yeah, I don't understand why this is considered a cult classic. <laughs> um, Pumpkinhead, luckily for me, and because I, in a way I, I kind of want, I kind of wish I had seen all these movies. You know what I mean? Because oh, yeah. I think when you see it, cause again, you can see a movie at the time it comes out and see it years later and it doesn't hold up. Then on the flip side, there's some movies you see years earlier and then you see them again later and they hold a different place in your heart because you do remember them from a different time or a different period. And when you watch Pumpkinhead, uh, Stan Winston, as I mentioned, is a multi-time Academy Award winning effects person. I mean, he did Aliens, he did Terminator 2, uh, which were groundbreaking effects, you know what I mean? Pure legend in the business. Yeah, so an all-time legend. That being said, Pumpkinhead was done on a $3 million budget, so it wasn't like he had Terminator 2 money to do the effects in this movie. Now, the effects aren't bad. I mean, they're not terrible, you know what I mean? I think the creature is a bit rubbery and you could definitely tell it's a dude hanging out in that costume uh but the, the effects aren't terrible they're not and, and stan winston's a mastermind so obviously i think he did a good enough job with what he had and i think he stretched that three million dollar budget to the limit in terms of what he could get out of this movie but i also feel like if you watch this movie for the first time and i'm not putting words into your mouth feel free to you know obviously you know how you felt about it but when you see a movie like this for the first time you know 20 some odd years after it came out you're going to be able to pick apart certain things about this movie that you may not have done if you had seen it when it originally came out. And let me give you one example before I turn it back over to you. My girlfriend, uh, who was younger than me, had never seen The Exorcist. And I have I always rave about The Exorcist being one of the greatest horror films of all time. And it's, you know, terrifying. I mean, it's a, it's a creepy-ass movie, and I think most horror historians will regard that as, 
you know, up there of like all time greats. She watched The Exorcist and she didn't mind it. She didn't think it was a bad movie. She didn't find it scary at all. She didn't find it. Mm-hmm. She didn't find it scary. She didn't find it terrifying. The effects were. She's like the effects were kind of cheesy. You know, the the pea soup thing, like you know, the head turning, like none of that got her. Now the actual story part and like the possession and like that whole thing, like that was good. She enjoyed the movie. She just didn't think it was scary and didn't think it was like this all-time classic because the effects back then are not what the effects can look like now. And I can understand that. I get that. So I think you have a different relationship with the movie when you've seen it years earlier and then you watch it again. So I'm interested to hear your take on Pumpkinhead because I have seen it back in the you know early 90s probably. I didn't see it in 88 when it came out. I know that. But I saw it probably in the early 90s. Uh, and then I watched it again you know recently. And you hadn't seen it at all until like you know two days ago. Yeah, and you know... Uh, so to, to backtrack a second and 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 give you an, an exa- another example of why uh, something from the past might not hit a modern audience, you know, the exorcism was terrifying for a lot of reasons, not even just the effects of the time, but like the implications of possession and the portrayal of possession in that movie so graphic and scary and the, and the world in general was a lot more religious back then. Nowadays, people are a lot more agnostic. So a movie like that doesn't hit on the same level. Um, the effects don't hit on the same level. I, with Pumpkinhead, I actually found the effects to be rather refreshing. They, they, it does, sometimes you are seeing a guy in a suit, and there were a lot of weird, awkward cuts to try and, I think, cut around Pumpkinhead. But what Stan Winston and his team were up to is they wanted to show you as much of the Beast as possible. The Beast really doesn't exist in the shadows. Every now and then, he's, he, he's a silhouette or something like that. But for the most part... They were trying to show off their skills and show a beast come to life. And again, this is 1988. This is uh, this is pre this is post Aliens, right? Uh, yes, that was yeah. Aliens was yeah. Aliens was like 87 or 86 or something. Yeah, 86. Yeah. Yeah. So 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 they they were and 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 the mother alien obviously in Aliens is one of the most tremendous feats of practical effects you'll ever see. I mean, it, it that never gets old when you watch it and you see how she moves and interacts in the space. So I think they were trying to go for that on a smaller scale with this. Obviously Stan Winston um you know he he had a, he fancied the idea of directing and he and he gets this movie like Pumpkinhead. It feels a little low budget. Um I wouldn't call I love Lance Henriksen, but I wouldn't call this, you know, one of his breakout performances or anything like that. Um the Pumpkinhead's uh, fodder, we'll get to them. We'll talk about those guys, you know. All those things are sort of a little wanton. To me, where I got locked into this movie is when uh, Lance's character, who goes by the name of uh, Ed Harley, uh, goes to, you know, he, he loses his son uh, in an in a accidental motorcycle accident. Um, th- these out-of-towners come over and they're dirt biking on his property, acting like dipshits, and they hit and kill his son. He goes to this witch's uh, cabin and makes it or tries to make a deal with her saying I need to bring my son back. So I was like, wait a minute, I'm going to am I about to get some pet cemetery vibes here? No, it's totally different than that. She summons a revenge beast. That from that moment on, I was actually locked into this movie. I didn't think the setup was that great like from as an adult who's, you know, I think as a kid if I would have watched that and saw a guy, you know, a guy hitting a kid with a dirt bike, that would have freaked me out as a kid. Um, it didn't hit me the same because I think, you know, the, the, the craftsmanship of the filmmaking was a little wanton for the, for that particular scene. So it didn't, it like in pet cemetery, for example, when the kid gets hit by the truck, the way they use the imagery around that moment is highly disturbing. This, this, this almost looks like 
like some bad, some clunky editing and stuff like that. So it doesn't, it doesn't hit on quite the same level. But once they get into the witch stuff, I was actually in, and I actually, I wouldn't say it like I love this movie, but I was like, you know what? From from the point that Ed Harley meets Haggis, I was in, and I was in for the story. Uh, now I'm curious for you, who's someone who who did get the, get the imagery burned into you at a young age, did it? Some of that shit still hold up for you? You know, it, it's weird because this movie hits me in a couple different ways, from the past to the present. Um, from the past, I remember relating to it in a different way because I was around. I was a, I was a kid, you know, at that time, and I wasn't as young. I don't remember if I was as young as Ed Harley's child in the movie. But you obviously, just like Monster Squad, when you watch Monster Squad and you relate to those children, just like you do the Goonies or or Lost Boys or any other great film that features kids, and you're a kid watching it, you kind of relate to that. Now this movie was a little different because Ed Harley's kid is you know really young, like five years old or six years old. So it's a little different, but I remember being in that situation as a kid and it hit me a lot harder because that's something that could have happened to you as a kid. You know, you could have gotten into an accident with a biker being an idiot and getting hit and killed. Uh, You know, I lived in a very rural area of Ohio. People went dirt biking and four wheeling and all that stuff all the time. So to watch that happen in a movie, I was like, damn, like that could happen to me. Um, Mm -hmm. In terms of watching it again now, though, the one thing I will say is, is that I appreciate the buildup to Pumpkinhead and the revelation of the creature. They, cause you don't really get into like the actual, like real deep part of this movie until about 35 minutes in. I mean, you're, you're yep. dealing with a lot of story building now. That's a little bit long for some people, but for me personally, you know, I, like you, once the movie got to the point where the, the you know, not that I wanted the kid to die, but I'm saying like once the kid right. perishes and the father is seeking revenge, that's when things really pick up. That's when, you know, he goes to visit his neighbor to try to find out about this old woman. Then he goes, visits Haggis and, you know, she tells him she can't bring his son back to life, but she can give him the other thing he wants, which is vengeance. And then he goes and digs up this body and brings it back to her. And she reanimates Pumpkinhead to go kill all these teenagers responsible for killing his kid. Uh, and then obviously we'll talk more about what else happens later in the movie. The movie is some 20 some odd years old at this point. I'm sure you've, uh, either seen it or <laughs> 30 some you know, odd at this point. 30 some years old at this point. So at this point, you know, we're not spoiling anything. Um, when I rewatched it, the beginning didn't hit with me as much as it did as when I was a kid, because when I was a kid, I was paying attention to it because I was a kid, I, you know, a kid gets killed. You're like, Oh man, like that. Yeah, was, that's, that that's was intense. A, that's an intense scene. Um, watching it now, I think, you know, you could have gotten there in a different way and spent a little bit less time in the building up to that 30 minute mark and spent more time with the creature hunting down these people and, you know, actually seeking vengeance and all that kind of stuff. But what I still appreciated about this movie, you know, in 2021 that I appreciated when I first saw it, let's say 1991 or whatever, is that it really had a different kind of horror story. And what I mean by that is, This was a story, if you think about the typical horror film setup, and I'm talking about like slasher, obviously, or, or even, or even, you know, I mean, obviously like even supernatural to a certain point, you're talking about like a a haunted house, typically ghosts are seeking, you know, ghosts are seeking vengeance for something done wrong to them, or they're just a vengeful spirit. 
Uh, but when you think about slashers, you're thinking about a, a slasher is a killer. Now you could say, obviously, you know, Michael Meyer or excuse me, Jason Voorhees is, you know, getting revenge on the camp counselors who didn't watch him as a child. But again, you're stretching it to say he needs to kill every counts camp counselor from here until the end of eternity. Uh, I don't think that's necessarily true. <laughs> then at that point, it just becomes about a maniacal killing machine who wants to kill. Um, what I liked about Pumpkinhead was, is when they actually introduced the creature, there's some part of you, and I'd imagine it's the same with you. There's some part of you that you start kind of rooting for the creature. Like you're rooting for these, for these <laughs> teenage assholes to get what's coming to them. Like not all of them. I mean, they they weren't all evil. Like they weren't all right. bad people, but like they ran over this kid and then they ran away. And then like the one person stayed behind till the dad showed up and told him what happened. It was an accident. And he obviously grabs this kid and runs off. But like, these people, like, at least three or four of them are assholes. Because, like, not only did they do it, but then they just, like, fled the scene. Uh, yeah. And so when the creature comes after them, I'm kind of like, you know what? Like, I'm not really feeling bad for the guy getting tossed from the tree or the girl getting tossed from the tree or whatever. Like, there's some of them. kind of You kind of root for the monster. And you don't typically do that in a slasher-style monster movie kind of thing. You know, you're not typically rooting for the monster to win. Yeah. And, and like all the grievances are there, like you get it, you know, you're like, you, the, first of all, the, the Stan Winston and, and company make sure that you hate the shit out of this group. Like even the ones that didn't do anything bad or annoying and like, like tackily one, one dimensional and all that shit. So like, you're kind of just like really over them from the get go. Never mind when they kill a kid. Um, it, they just like, they're, they're so just loathsome. And so when, when, when Pumpkinhead starts coming after them, you don't feel the least bit bad. What they do that's interesting is that kind of halfway through all that, Ed Harley has this change of heart. And he's like, this is not right. That This has to stop. We can't do this. This is the this is wrong. And he tries to stop Pumpkinhead. It's, that's a really interesting dynamic. It's one of the more clever pieces of the storytelling aspect of this film because it's not the most like dynamic storyline uh, around. But when it gets to that, it does become interesting. And what another thing that's kind of interesting about Pumpkinhead and how its mythology works is once you resurrect this thing, you're sort of connected to it. And so Ed Harley is connected to Pumpkinhead. And when it kills, he feels its kills and he doesn't like how that feels. And he's like, this is wrong. We have to make we have to stop this. So there's that like there's a morality uh, tale in there, which is not typical for a slasher. And I, I don't even know that I would qualify this as a slasher necessarily. It's a little bit more along the fantasy kind of fantasy horror realm. Uh, so it's it, I don't know. It's unique. It's unique in the horror space. For those things, is it the most refined movie around? Not really. I mean, it's kind. Of, it, the acting's pretty. Yeah, it's pretty rough. Um, at, at times, you're right. It, it it does kind of feel like a guy in a rubber suit. But at times, also, there's a great close up of like Pumpkinhead, and he's his mouth and eyes are moving, and it looks really cool. And it and yeah, there's there's it's got its it's got its strengths and it's got its weaknesses. Yeah, I, I think when you talk about like the acting, let's say, and I'm not necessarily defending the acting here, but I'm saying that like this is on par with most 80s horror films. I mean, are there better yeah. performances in 80s horror films? Absolutely. But are there, you know, <laughs> are there a lot of movies I love from the 80s horror film genre <laughs> that are just on the same? Yeah, I mean, listen, I'm not, yeah. I don't expect Academy Award winning performances here. I mean, this is pretty much on par with what I would expect from a $3 million budget on an eighties horror film. Uh, so the, the acting is what it is. It's not anything that I'm going to call out and say, man, boy, boy, what a fantastic performance. <laughs> um, 
But that being said, again, what I really liked about the plot of this movie beyond that, uh, there actually is a really good plot. Like there actually is the bones yeah. of a really good plot here. A little kid gets killed accident or not asshole guy does it father wants revenge he you know invokes the spirit of this killing machine creature to go after them and then he realizes you know his grief got the better of him he doesn't want these kids you know to be butchered and and murdered for you know what they did he wants he wants justice but he doesn't want this kind of justice you know it's like there's a million movies out there please forgive me that i'm thinking of this one particular one but like (laughs) have you ever seen the bodyguard the whitney houston movie okay (laughs) i mean it's been a while okay there's a i'm spoiling the plot of the bodyguard i'm sorry but there's a point in the movie where like this hitman comes after whitney houston's character and you find out that her sister hired the hitman because she was jealous of her sister her sister got everything and she hired this hitman but the hitman ended up almost killing her nephew her her sister's son and she's like i never wanted to be him and like she kind of realizes in that moment like the gravity of what she's done you know she kind of realizes like you know i hired a hitman to kill my sister and now, like the the kid almost got killed. He was, you know, he was in the line of fire. I don't know why I'm thinking the bodyguard for this particular <laughs> plot line because I'm sure there's a million movies like this. But for some reason, the bodyguard popped in my head. Anyways, my point being is, is like in that moment, uh, she regrets. They regret what they did. And Ed Harley, Lance Hendrickson's character realizes the gravity of what he's done grief got the better of him he wants he wants justice but he doesn't want it in this way he doesn't want these kids to be torn apart dismembered and just butchered you know what i mean like that's a different you know that's even different as tragic as what happened to his son was that's not what happened to his son he didn't get torn apart and it was an accident it was an accident i mean it was a shitty accident but it was an accident um and so that adds another element to the story so when he gets involved in trying to stop the creature and kind of save the kids it switches again. So I really applaud this movie for the plot and the story. Does it go as far as it should? Do you feel like it can be drawn out? And we'll talk more about this in our categories. We get into like recast and rewrite of the living dead. Um, as far as like what they could change or make it different, but there are the bones of a really solid plot and a really different plot than the average horror film, because you know, a lot of horror films you can plot from a to B to C to D and you kind of, you know, there's a million movies out there. You could talk about like, you know, a movie, obviously movies I love. I mean, Nightmare on Elm Street. Freddy Krueger was a child murderer. His parents got their own sense of vengeance when he got out of jail. They burned him alive. He comes back as a dream demon, and he continues to stalk their children in their dreams to continue doing his child murder thing, but also get revenge on the parents who burned him alive. It's very, it's not simple, but, it, I mean, it is a simple plot. But, you, you can, obviously, that's kind of point A to point B, point C to point D, how you get there. This one's a little different. It's a father and a son working in a grocery store, rule out in the middle of nowhere. You know, they're living a pretty happy existence. He's a happy dad, you know, living with his son. And then these kids come along. They're, you know, city slickers. Uh, you know, they get into an accident. They kill the kid. They basically hit and run, more or less. And the father wants revenge. And that's what I said earlier about, like, you kind of root for the monster. Uh, it's a different kind of plot. It's an actually solid plot. Did they go as far as they should have? Was the was the script as tight as, you know, <laughs> other great revenge movies? No. But for what it was... I thought it was pretty damn good. It's a weird little outlier in the in the horror space. Uh, um, it, it, I'm glad you mentioned that that it's actually a decent plot uh, because so many. Uh, I mean, the classic, the very classic slashers, uh, you know, Friday, Elm Street, and Halloween. Uh, 
uh, you know, uh, the, some of them, the plots are a little thin. Uh, uh, Friday the 13th, I'm looking your way. Uh, I thought you were going to say, I th- I'm glad you mentioned Bodyguard, because I haven't thought about it. I thought that's what you were going to say. <laughs> I, I thought that's thought what you were going to say. I got excited for a second. <laughs> but <laughs> my point my point is that is that they, they do make use of their time in this movie. Um, I, and, and I immediately thought of it with the group. Now, this is 88, so this is the same year as you get Jason Takes Manhattan, one of your favorite Friday the 13th movies, as we all know. Um the people that this group, this group of like shitheads in Pumpkinhead, they they actually have a lot more to do than your average camper in a Friday the 13th movie. Weirdly enough, like you don't get a lot of backstory with these. These are these people aren't sitting around trying to get laid. They're actually running away most of the time trying to hide from this killing demon. It's kind of interesting uh, like it's another thing that you just don't see in a lot of like I feel like you see it most the 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 time you see it the most clearly is like in a in a uh, Nightmare on Elm Street movie where the people are actively trying to get away from uh, uh, Freddy. That's kind of what they're trying to do. In this instance, it's a little more like a Freddy movie. They're trying to get away from this thing. They just happen to be completely in the wrong and probably worthy of Pumpkinhead's you know wrath. Yeah. Yeah, it's a little different in that kind of way that they plotted a movie, and it's really solid. Like, it's a solid yeah, story. Yeah, it's, a it's a kind solid... of effective way. You're like, now most slashers don't do it this smartly. Yeah, yeah like it's, it gives you a different... It gives you a different motivation than the average horror film, which is what I really like about this movie because it doesn't feel like it it it's, it it falls into any one category. You could say, well, yeah, it's a horror movie. Obviously, we know it's a horror movie. It's a creature. You know, all these kind of things are true. But it's also a revenge movie, which is a little different than the average horror film outside of like, let's say, like the final girl getting revenge on the killer. I mean, yes, that's a right. That's a revenge movie, but that's a revenge movie predicated on, you know, the killer having already slaughtered all her friends. And now she's just, you know, she's seeking vengeance by killing them in the end. You think about Nightmare on Elm Street 4, which I absolutely love. Alice loses all her friends. At the end of the movie, she gears up and she goes after Freddy. Yes, that's a revenge movie of sorts. But this is a this is a movie based on revenge. Like, this is a movie that is purely, at its core, a revenge movie. A, you know, a father loses his son. He tries to get vengeance on the people who killed him, accident or not. And that's a little different take on, on this kind of a horror movie, which I really appreciate. Uh, and then, again, I think, you know, for what it was, the the plot was solid. The story was solid. The dialogue suffers here and there, and it, it gets a little, <laughs> dialogue you know, is rough. It gets sometimes. a little, it gets a little cheesy. But then again, I also, I again, I know I'm, I'm making excuses, but I'm making excuses for the time it was. It was 1988. You know what I mean? Well, like, but also sometimes the dialogue is brilliant. We're gonna get to some of that in a minute. Like sometimes the dialogue's amazing. Yeah, I think it's really that it the the first the the opening act of the movie, the first act of the movie is kind of rough because it's mainly just those. That this group of uh, of of young people and Lance Henriksen, it's, yeah, it it leaves a lot to be desired. Yeah, although I will say one of the things you get in that early going, which there's a couple things that like just feel out of place. One particular is when the family shows up to the to the grocery store, and all the kids are tormenting their little brother about Pumpkinhead. That feels a little bit heavy handed. Uh, <laughs> but also, just to mention, one of the girls in that family is Mayim Bialik. Uh, That's who right. goes on to star in Blossom and, of course, The Big Bang Theory, and now apparently one of the hosts of Jeopardy. Uh, that was her first on-screen role. When I saw that, I was digging up some facts about Pumpkinhead today, and I saw that, and I was like, holy shit. I didn't even like, it would not even have occurred to me that that was her. And another great fun fact, 
the do- and this killed this this was getting me while I was watching it. So the the young kid in the movie who gets killed by these by this group, ha- he has a dog that looks so crazy familiar to me. I was like, man, this dog really looks really familiar, which you don't often say about a dog outside of like I don't know, uh, Pluto from you know uh, the cartoons. This dog Gypsy is played by a dog named Mushroom, who was also the dog in Gremlins. Yeah, and by the way. Uh, uh, mushroom. He did his own stunts. I didn't. I didn't realize there were stunt dogs as well. Apparently, there is. Mushroom's a badass. Is all I'm saying. Like that. Yeah. That dog's a badass. Yeah. Like that's. Yeah. A, yeah. That's the same dog from Gremlins, which is crazy. It is. It was. It was super. I was like, I've seen this dog. Of course, I've seen this dog. He was in Gremlins, which I fucking love, and I've seen a million times. Yeah. A couple. Let me throw a couple other facts about this movie before we get into some of our categories. So originally, and I hope this is all correct, I'm, you know, fully admitting I haven't, you know, spent days researching this to make sure it's all true, but listen, it's on the internet, it must be true, Patrick, is all I'm saying. Uh, Clearly. Yeah, originally the title of the movie wasn't Pumpkinhead, it was originally Vengeance the Demon, which is weird, uh, (laughs) and not nearly as effective as Pumpkinhead. I get you want it, you want vengeance, and this thing is supposed to be a demon, but Vengeance the Demon... And it also, by the way, it's Vengeance colon the demon, not like it's called Vengeance the demon. Like it was like, we're Vengeance the demon. No, it's Vengeance colon the demon. Uh, I'm glad they changed it to just Pumpkinhead, which is weird because the poem it's based upon is called Pumpkinhead. But <laughs> but some producer got yeah. a bug up his ass. Neither, neither here nor there. Another fun fact is the cabin, and I should probably let you tell this one, but the cabin that they show in the film very briefly, by the way, it's not like they're there a whole lot of time. Or they show the outside of it, I should say. The cabin featured in Pumpkinhead is the exact same cabin they use in Friday the 13th, part four, the final chapter, my favorite Friday. Uh, the one that the uh, the one that the uh, Jarvis family stays at. That's the That's same right. location in uh, California where they filmed it. It's actually apparently been in a lot of other TV shows and movies, including Parks and Rec and Entourage. And this is us. Apparently, it's a very famous cabin that they use for a lot of filming. Um, yeah oh wow i'm remembering the parks and i now now i know exactly the episode it's in parks and rec that's funny yeah so there's that uh there was a pumpkin head video game uh which i surely don't remember <laughs> i remember uh, that but, i do remember the pumpkin yeah, head video game yeah there was a pumpkin head video game it says in the same uh in the same research that lance hendrickson is totally ashamed of the sequels they made and they made a lot of them apparently uh they got to like <laughs> pumpkin head four which i know there is Pumpkinhead 2, I think it's like Blood Angel or Blood Wings or something like that. I remember that, and I feel like maybe I saw it once. Maybe. There are other uh, sequels. Blood that, Wings, Blood, yeah. I, have ne- I didn't even know there were Pumpkinhead 3 and 4. I didn't even know they existed. Apparently, Lance Hendrickson stuck around and did like cameos <laughs> and all of them. So, But he's very ashamed like, to the point where apparently he made an appearance at a film festival where he was going to go speak to the audience after the blood, whatever blood, the, the, the pumpkinhead four showed or whatever. And he was so ashamed of the role. He actually <laughs> snuck out of the theater and left before the Q and a, because he was so ashamed of that. Uh, which is, I love which, Lance Hendrickson. And, you know, I, I really love him from aliens, obviously is, is, is the big one. Uh, but yeah, he's, he's made some choices. Let's just say that. Yeah. And, and listen, a guy's got to work and he, he is great. I think he's underutilized in my yeah. opinion. And the last one I want to mention, and I noticed this re-watching it. I don't remember if I noticed this watching it back in like the early 90s. Again, it came out in 88. I saw it in the early 90s. But the Pumpkinhead's face at the end starts to resemble Ed Harley. 
because yes. it kind of takes on the form of the man whose vengeance it's seeking. And what I enjoyed about that, and that's what made me, and we'll talk about this later in our whole rewrite, recast, our you know kind of idea for for this movie. But I love the idea, and I wish they would have explored this mythology a little bit more. Is that the creature basically takes on the form of the last person it sought vengeance for. So when Pumpkinhead gets reanimated, you know, ten years later to seek revenge on another person, it would come out looking like Ed Harley and then transform into the next person. Now they didn't really explain that, and I don't know if that's true, but I love that idea. Like I thought that was kind of cool. Like it carries the face of the person. Now, obviously, when it comes out of the grave, it looks weird. And I don't know who it's supposed to be morphing. But, like, I thought that would be a cool concept. Like, the creature takes on the form of the person seeking revenge. Obviously, after vengeance is, is gained, they go, the creature dies and goes back in the ground. But when it's reanimated, the next time Pumpkinhead would look like Ed Harley until the next person it takes on the form. You know what I mean? Like, I thought that mm -hmm. was a... Yeah. They, they, they didn't say that in the movie, but I was like, you know, that would be kind of a cool concept. Yeah, I did notice. I was like, it's starting to look like Lance Henriksen. Yeah. And, uh, and that, it's just interesting. It was It was like a nice little attention to detail i was like oh, okay they're telling me something without telling it to me straight yeah also i want to mention real quick uh before we go any further with the uh the pumpkin head uh you know talk i want to mention that one of the lead characters in this movie john diaquino and diaquino maybe i'm pronouncing it wrong who played joel the asshole guy who runs over poor little uh billy harley is it billy harley chris harley chris <laughs> It's Chris. Chris Farley. Chris it's Chris Farley. Farley. No, no Billy. No, it's Billy Harley. Whatever. Yeah. Harley, yeah. Whatever. Yeah. Harley, the kids, the kids, the kid who gets killed. He's the one who runs him over. I looked at him and I was like, why does this guy look so familiar? And I looked him up and he's still acting to this day. Like he's in a lot of stuff. Like he does a lot of guest appearances on TV. Still very active as an actor. But I was like, why do I know this guy? Then it came to me. He is Todd Gack from Seinfeld. Do you, remember, ah, do, you remember, you remember, do you remember the episode of Seinfeld where Elaine gets talked into going out with a guy because he asked her, like, he's convinced, he tries to convince her that such and such was in Star Wars. That he says Dustin Hoffman was in Star Wars <laughs> and they take a bet and the loser has to buy dinner. So he ends up buying her dinner. And so like, it's like a way to get her to go on a date without actually going on a date. And like Todd Gack and, 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 and Kramer's like Todd Gack. I like that name. What is it? He's like, I think it's Dutch. That's right. Yeah. That's the guy. Yeah. That's him. That's so funny. You, you have this ability to go, wait a minute, where did I see that? And it's always a Seinfeldian person. It is a Seinfeld. Seinfeld is a lot of people, dude. Trust me. I'm telling you. Seinfeld is a lot of people. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that guy. So Joel ends up being Todd Gack in Seinfeld. Todd Gack. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> before we get to our categories, Patrick, I wanted to bring this up because we mentioned this before the show. And we've kind of talked about it throughout the show is that one of the unique parts about Pumpkinhead is that it is a true revenge thriller. I mean, at the end of the day, it's a horror film, but it's a revenge thriller. It's a father seeking vengeance on the people who killed his son. And so I got thinking, I am a massive revenge movie fan beyond horror. I'm just saying in general, like I love a good revenge, a good revenge movie. I am a Quentin Tarantino fanboy. In and of itself, that means I love revenge movies because that's kind of like Tarantino's specialty and many of his favorite films are revenge films. Uh, so completely off the cuff and not horror related, doesn't have to be horror related. What is your favorite revenge movie? Well, interestingly enough, um, I, I, I picked three and two of them are horror films. Uh, the first one I'll say, because you just brought it up, is, is Quentin Tarantino's Inglorious Bastards. 
I love that. Fantastic revenge movie. It's my favorite Quentin Tarantino movie. And it's um, it's the kind of revenge porn that you can sign me up for any day. Let's rewrite history where we just shoot Nazis in the face. And like I like like I I just love the premise of like a like a like a group of uh, rogue soldiers going after and hunting down Nazis and and it just it to me it, it it hit on every level I absolutely love that one that's probably my number one favorite revenge movie uh, but the these other two that I'm going to mention are are movies I've rewatched time and time again one is I saw the devil which is very much a revenge film about a cop trying to seek revenge for a serial killer who killed his uh, fiance. Um, love that movie. Absolutely love that movie. Another one that I absolutely love that you know very well is The Devil's Rejects because the flip side of that movie is uh, 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 Officer uh, Sheriff uh, Wydell, right? Yep. Sheriff Wydell is on a revenge mission the entire time, right? So the 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 we all know that the Firefly family is is kind of on the run, but Sheriff Wydell is on a mission for revenge for the death of his brother. And I love that. And to me, that's Will Forsythe's greatest role of all time. He, he really knocked it out of the park. And it was his 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 lust for revenge that uh, that I really loved in that movie. It's also, and not to go on the Devil's Reject tangent, because I think anyone who's listened to this show for more than one episode, because I rarely go more than an episode talking about my love for that film, but that is part of the reason why I love the Devil's Rejects because it it does uh, you know it 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 uh, um, it it changes your expectations it it you know it subverts your expectations for that kind of a movie just like Pumpkinhead in a way does you know you don't yeah. expect like I said you don't expect going into a monster movie to root for the monster and in a way you do in this movie at least a little bit you know like you're like at least Joel the asshole who actually ran <laughs> over the kid like you're actually kind of rooting for him to die you may not root for everybody else to die but you're at least rooting for the monster to get that guy. Right. Like that's, oh, I think that's universal, right? That's not typically what you would think of in a, in a horror film. You're not typically going to root for Michael Myers. I mean, yes, there's going to be people who root for Michael Myers, but I'm saying like, you know, normal sane people are not rooting for Michael Myers to kill everybody. Uh, we all like cool kills, but I'm saying like, you're not like, Ooh man, I want to be Michael Myers. Or if you do, please seek help. Like seriously, please. like, yeah, there's a lot of therapy you can get online. <laughs> if you're saying, man, I can't wait to grow up and be Michael Myers, please, please, please seek help. Uh, yes, please. this is a different kind of movie. And so very much like that Re devil's rejects, like in a way, like you're kind of torn because you kind of like the firefly family because they are, fucked up but like hilarious in ways but they're also truly fucked up and evil and then you got this sheriff who's like going completely rogue to get them and he's not interested in just arresting them he wants them to suffer and die the way his brother died you know what i mean so yeah it's a different kind of film because you're not just he's not like you said it's not just he's hunting them down to arrest them he's hunting them down to kill them and yeah. that movie subverts expectations on every level, which is why Devil's Rejects is so brilliant. Um, but let me just throw this out there so we can have a brief discussion. Uh, my favorite revenge movie of all time. I have a lot of them. Uh, as I said, I'm a Tarantino fan. I love Kill Bill. I love Kill Bill 2. Uh, mm -hmm. I, th I think of them as one movie, which is really what it is. And Tarantino will tell you the same thing. It's really one movie. I love Kill Bill. Uh, that is a fantastic revenge thriller. Um, love that movie. Um... I love John Wick, the original John Wick. And I think the sequels have been solid. But John yeah, sequels Wick are fun too. Sequel, but the original is fantastic. Um, I love a lot of revenge movies, but to bring it full circle, my favorite revenge movie is Inglourious Bastards. And I think the reason why 
that movie is my favorite revenge thriller goes beyond just let's kill some Nazis because as fun as that is, and I do enjoy that a lot, uh, it is the delicious evil played by Christoph Waltz. Oh yeah. He is so good. I mean, that opening scene at the dairy farm. It's one of the best opening scenes ever. It is unbelievable. I mean, it might be one of the best five performances in the history of acting. Yeah. Him and the, and the guy playing across from him too. Like who gets none of the praise, but like what those two guys in that moment, that's some of the best acting you'll ever see. Yeah. Yeah. Like that Christoph Waltz in that opening scene, the way he is charming yet sinister and then turns on a dime to just pure unadulterated evil. You know what I mean? Like him sitting yeah. there laughing, like, you know, I want to, can I try a del- glass of your delicious milk? And, he, yeah. and he says, he's like, I love rumors. Like he's so over the top and boisterous and it's terrifying. And then when he switches and he's like, you're harboring, you know, enemies of the state, they're hiding in your basement. And like, oh my God, it's just terrifying. I'm not trying to do yeah. a Christoph. I couldn't, I'm not even going to try or attempt to do a Christoph Waltz impression. <laughs> oh, just, you like, should. That'd be, re- do the rest I, of the show in the Christoph I, 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 Waltz. I'm, re- I'm repeating lines. But my point being is that movie, the revenge of that movie is set up so brilliantly from him in that moment at that dairy farm. And he says, it was his, au revoir, Shoshana. Au revoir, Shoshana. And oh then that scene in the restaurant when he comes in and she realizes who he is. And then like when he leaves and you see her gasp for air, the revenge part of that movie, her getting revenge, setting fire to the theater. And then obviously the bastards, you know, coming in with machine guns and killing Hitler and everything else. It all combines to one just deliciously beautiful you know, terrifying revenge filler. And then, you know, obviously the, the craziest part is, you know, not to ruin the movie, but you know, Christoph Waltz's character, you know, kind of gets away with it in a way. Like he makes a deal with the allies to, you know, basically sacrifice Hitler and end the war. But you know, he doesn't get away that cleanly because of course, you know, they got to put the bastards got to put their mark on him at the end. You know what I mean? With them carving a swastika into his head. So he'll never be able to go anywhere without, you know, being recognized as who he really is. Um, There's just so much brilliant about that movie and the revenge in that movie hits on a different level because, you know, there are revenge thrillers about horrific acts being carried out against people, people, you know, seeking revenge for rape, people seeking revenge for children being killed Uh, in John wick's case, a dog being killed, which I'll tell you right now, I have two dogs. If anyone ever hurt them, I will go John wick on your ass. Uh, (laughs) Seriously. Um, But that inglorious bastards is so well crafted. And I think it's because Christoph Waltz and the other actors are so brilliant that it raises the stakes. So when it actually gets to the revenge element, it means that much more. No, yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, that is that to me actually. You're right. Is the the Shoshana's storyline is an amazing storyline. Uh, like all, in and of itself, is is probably the strongest piece of that entire puzzle. But what a what a film! What a great revenge film. Yeah, but I love revenge films in general. I, I do. I love a good revenge oh, yeah. film. Which is probably I would say why most of my films are revenge films. Yeah, which is why I appreciate Pumpkinhead on a different level. I think. Uh, you know what I'm just thinking about? And now we're going off on a tangent here. Here we go. Really, Alien, the original Alien, is a revenge film if you consider Prometheus and Covenant canon, which, according to Ridley Scott, they are. That is revenge. It's David's revenge. 
Well, I'm going to disagree for one reason. I <laughs> Here like we to, go. I like to pretend that Prometheus and Alien <laughs> Covenant don't exist uh, because they're both god-awful. Oh, uh, no. Prometheus is good. No. Covenant? Covenant's not that great. Prometheus, Prometheus, watch it again. Prometheus, That's a solid movie. Prometheus has about 30 minutes of good until they actually get to the planet. When they actually get to the planet, it all goes downhill in a hurry. Oh, uh, it's good. Yeah, and the creation of the alien, no, no, no. You never. I've watched it a couple times. And I, listen, <laughs> let me be clear. Damon Lindelof wrote the script. Damon Lindelof, of course, the creator of Lost, the creator of the Watchmen series, one of my favorite writers in all of pop culture today. The Leftovers. Leftovers. I love Damon Lindelof. I pretend that doesn't exist because Get I don't like. I don't. Here, I don't Dan. like. It's it's bad. It is. Yeah, so sorry, bad. Pumpkinhead. We're diverting now. This is an argument about Prometheus. It that's is, that's what this show is now. We have to retitle the show. It is so bad. It is so terrible. And I yeah. So in that way, sure, I could see that. I could see Alien being a bit of a revenge movie, but I don't take it like that because I like to pretend those films don't exist and we never know exactly where the aliens come from they're just on lv 426 and that's where kane finds one and gets attached to his helmet we never know where they truly come from because i don't want to acknowledge those other movies that's okay damon's wrong that's fine we're, we're good with that we can move on <laughs> let's let's put a let's put a poll out there and see who agrees with me because i guarantee there's gonna be more people agreeing with me about prometheus prometheus is solid yeah, how the, how the reviews looking on that one? Go to Rotten Tomatoes. Ah, right, no, right. I don't trust Rotten Tomatoes for shit. I don't. I've never have. Honestly, Rotten Tomatoes, Hold I don't on. like. Hold on, I'm looking it up right now. We're on the air. We're looking this up. Prometheus. Hold on. Hold on. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes. Let me just. See. I'm just curious because you got the audience. You got the audience reaction as well. Okay. So. What do the audience know? I'm. The uh, you know one. what? Come it's on. not as bad as I thought it would be. What are we? What do we got? You, well, you, you don't you don't deserve this. You just ripped Rotten Tomatoes, so you don't really deserve to know. Uh, <laughs> the critic rating is seventy three percent. That's pretty good. And the audience rating is sixty eight percent. So it's not All as right. bad as I thought it would be. So the audience is more wrong than the critics. That's fine. Yeah, I I I'm, I think I'm part of the audience in this one. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, anyways, uh, yeah. But I, I like a good revenge movie, and without ruining the show by just completely going off on a Prometheus tangent. <laughs> uh, yeah, I like I love Alien. Obviously, and I love Aliens too. Love. Uh, but yeah, I love a good revenge movie. I just watched the movie Revenge with Kevin Costner a few weeks ago, and I'd never seen it. Uh, it's a great movie. It's a really well done movie. To that point, let's talk about best performance as we get into our uh, yes. our, our categories here. Uh, what is your best performance in uh, in Pumpkinhead? And I'm guessing it's not Lance Henriksen. It's not, unfortunately. I do love Lance Henriksen, but my best performance goes to Florence Schaffler as Haggis, the Southern Witch. Uh, just this classic, like Southern mysticism, and and this kind of like a great character design, by the way, too. Like I just love how they did her up. It's very classic, and and she is my favorite thing in the whole movie. Once, like I said earlier, once he meets the witch, and we kick into that, I was I was really drawn to her character, and I loved her performance. Yeah, she was really good. She played a good you know, kind of classic witch, you know, scary hill woman, however you want to say it. Uh, I thought she did a good job. She got that old crackly voice and uh, a bit of the Southern twang to it. And I thought, yeah, she was a good addition to the film and, and, you know, worthwhile of that part of what she was playing. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Now my best performance, strangely enough, and you're going to have to follow me on this one. Um, 
It's not Lance Hendrickson. I'm sorry. Uh, my, my boy <laughs> is going to not win this one. Um, I'm actually going to go with John Diaquino, the guy, Todd Gack. I'm going with Todd All Gack. Right. Because Joel, who is a total and complete shithead uh, and a real loathsome character, he pulls that off really, really well. Like, that is... <laughs> the best part of the acting in this movie is that you believe he is a total douchebag, a guy who would actually have been busted for DUI previously and like worried mm-hmm. about this. And so he's willing to run over a kid and let the kid die. So he doesn't get busted again. Uh, I believe all that he is a douche, a huge, huge douche. And he plays it really well. And the reason why I'm crediting him as best performance is because you, we all know the asshole, the, the arrogant jerky asshole is a, is a standard of horror films of great eighties horror films in particular, but pulling that off and doing it well is actually a bit of an art form because there are other movies, inevitably somebody named Grady, by the way, I don't know why Grady is such a popular name in the eighties for like the asshole <laughs> character, but Grady of those movies is what I'm going to nickname the Grady's of those movies. Sometimes they're good. Sometimes they're bad. Sometimes they're kind of forgettable. John Diaquino or Diaquino, the guy, Todd Gack. I keep calling him Todd Gack. Todd Gack <laughs> in this movie is pretty good as the asshole. I mean, he's a very convincing asshole. I mean, and and uh, I mean, I, I will say that uh, I'll spoil it. He's my most hated character. And it's because uh, as douchey and terrible as as the character is, like it gets under your skin. Like you're gen- you genuinely hate this guy. But by the time. Uh, especially by the time the kid is hit, you actually kind of hate him well before that because he's just he's just a fucking asshole. Um, but once he once he hits the kid and then is like, hey, we need to leave because I don't I don't need another fucking DUI. Like I bought it all, and I was like, man, I fucking don't like this guy. And then he was he was sabotaging the other people in his group. Uh, yeah, everything about that man, I, I I do give it to him for eliciting that kind of reaction out of me. I couldn't wait to see Pumpkinhead crush his skull. And he was also, as you just mentioned, another category, my most hated character because he did do such a good job. And the way, and I know this sounds weird because we've talked about like some of the flaws in the movie in terms of character development, but like, this is one character, like when he locks his friends in a closet, like he basically like, pushes them in a closet, and locks them in so they can't go and run and tell the police what happened. Like that tells you the depths of which this guy is willing to go to protect his own ass. You know what I mean? And like, yeah. I can see that. I know, I'm not saying I personally know people, but you hear stories about like the depths people will go to to keep from going to jail. We all know these stories. Watch Dog the Bounty Hunter and you can figure these out real quick. <laughs> uh, you watch any show like that, like any you know, justice show, and you'll see the links people will go to to not go to jail. Uh, this guy literally locks his friends in a closet uh, to keep them from you know getting out and, and telling on him. And, and they're not even trying to get him arrested. They're just trying to tell it's an accident. Like they're trying to well, yeah. explain. Yeah, all they want to do is just report an accident. And he won't let them. And, and his performance in that and as character, you're just like, God, fuck this guy. Like you're just like, yeah. this but they do a really good job fleshing that out. It's not a one dimensional asshole. He's not just a jerk. You know what I mean? There's some characters in horror films. They're just a jerk. Well, this guy actually has like, He's a jerk, obviously, but he also does things to make him become an even bigger jerk. And then you kind of, kind of like what I talked before, you're typically not rooting for the monster. You're 100% rooting for the monster to get to Joel. Like you're 100% saying this is the one guy that needs to die. Yeah. And I believe he's the last person in the group to die. Not, not everyone in the group dies. But he is the last of the ones to get killed by Pumpkinhead, I believe. Yeah. Now, did you have a favorite character in this movie? 
I didn't really. I mean, look, the, this is a late 80s movie and uh, it's tough to find a late 80s horror film where there's there's a character that really jumps out at you and is like, oh, wow. OK, great. Great side character. Um, this movie didn't quite have that for me. Did Did you have a favorite character? I did. Pumpkinhead. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I wouldn't have thought of that. I like this. I like the idea of a vengeful spirit, you know, that gets conjured for that reason only. Like he gets conjured to seek revenge on people. And he's not just some mindless killing machine who's just out there killing things. Like I get the point of that. And I appreciate a great, you know, Jason Voorhees killing spree like anybody. But I like the fact that the vengeful spirit is only conjured in these kind of moments. And, and in this moment, you know, obviously Ed Harley eventually comes to his senses and realizes he doesn't want this to happen to these kids. But like the idea being is Pumpkinhead, when he's resurrected, he comes out and he kills the people who, who are, you know, who he's seeking vengeance upon. And then he goes back in his grave. Like he's not just staying out there and killing people until somebody kills him. Like he stays alive uh, until vengeance is, is, is satisfied. And I kind of like that. I like that as a horror character. It's a different kind of monster. It's a different kind of, again, why I like the plot of Pumpkinhead. It's a different kind of plot. And so, yeah, my favorite character, weirdly enough, is Pumpkinhead. Good call. You're gonna get you're gonna get bonus points for my buddy Jeff Speed, who loves this movie. <laughs> he, he he's he was probably screaming at the at his podcast, listening, is going, Pumpkinhead's the best fucking character. What are you guys thinking? And, and then you come up and mention it. That's yeah. a great idea. Yeah, Pumpkinhead is the best character. All right, let's talk about best line. Uh, and obviously, there are some juicy dialogue. There's some juicy dialogue in this movie. Let me tell you. Uh, let me give you my runner up real quick, and then we'll get to your best line. I wanted to make this my best line, but it was just funny. It was great when the, the scene where the guy and the girl are locked in the closet and they're pissed off at Joel for locking them in the closet. And the one girl, I don't know if it's Kim or I can't remember which girl it is that says it, but she says, uh, when we get out of here, Joel's going to be carrying his balls home in a knapsack. <laughs> and the guy goes, make sure I never piss you off. And I'm like, that was such a great line. I didn't include that because it was just funny, but I was just like, I, I want to use that at some point in some script I write in the future. I want to write in like, he's going to go home with his balls in his knapsack. I was like, oh, get him, get him. Knapsack. Yeah, knapsack. So, all right, let, set up your best line in Pumpkinhead. Uh, the best line for me comes at the lock-in moment when Ed Harley uh, visits the the witch Haggis in her in her you know rundown shack in the middle of the woods, and uh, she kind of this is her explaining to him that uh, if you if you really want justice for your boy, you do this, and it, it just felt like a great classical kind of. Uh, for you know, like like a warning slash story. It was for, uh, it was cool. I love the vibe of it. A little a little foreboding of what's to come. Yeah, definitely foreboding. Oh yeah. yeah. Here we go. Ever hear a Razorback holler? There's an old graveyard way back deep in them woods. Mountain folk used to bury kin in there. Kin they's ashamed of. Bring a shovel. The thing you're looking for is in there. Bring it back here. Some things I gotta do to it before it'll be any use to you. The graveyard, I wanna know. You'll know it, Harley. You'll know. I want, this is classic. Yeah, so good. Also, let me throw out one thing. Every time she says his name, I think she's saying Ed Hardy. 
the yeah, no. the really <laughs> shitty tattooed like ninety dollar t shirts from like the two thousands. <laughs> That's all I hear. It says Ed Harley. I keep hearing Ed Hardy. I'm like, oh God, don't remind me Ed Hardy, please. Have we moved beyond that, please? We're burying all our Ed Hardy shirts down <laughs> in the graveyard. You got Where we're ashamed of our old fashioned. <laughs> you got a hundred and twenty dollar trucker hat. <laughs> I'm gonna seek revenge on you, Ed Hardy. Just where you dig, you dig up Pumpkinhead, and he's wearing like a like a big shirt with like a you know an old school eagle tattoo on it, and a <laughs> shitty trucker hat, and you're like, oh god, you run, everyone run, yeah, put it away. I don't want these fashion choices anymore. Run from that tacky fashion. Yeah, exactly. And there's like the affliction monsters next door. <laughs> the affliction. <monster. laughs> All right, uh, my best line. So I the balls in the knapsack line was pretty damn good. That was a good line, but I picked another one that is it sounds so 80s like buddy cop movie and i loved it so there's a there's one and actually this is again the the layers they add to the kids are pretty good there's one girl as soon as the accident happens she kind of goes into a catatonic state where she's just like all about god like she's like asking god for forgiveness for what's what they did you know she turns like flips on a dime to where she's just gone completely like loony about what they did to this kid and so there's a point where the guys go out with their rifles and the reason i'm explaining this is because there's one thing you can't see in a audio clip so i'm kind of explaining it uh the guys go out with guns and the one girl says something about like you know they're they're going to be okay and the one girl goes only god you know can can save us now and the girl one girl goes over to the drawer and she picks out a fucking butcher knife and a meat cleaver and her line delivered here is my favorite line it's so badass if it sounds like it's straight out of die hard or like last boy scout here we go oops what wrong clip here's my clip right. you should be okay right i mean they took the gun and everything god is the only thing that can stop what's out there kim just in case god doesn't show that does sound like something you'd hear in like a bruce willis film yeah yeah and then and then, and then he cocks the shotgun right yeah, there like only yeah. only god can save us now here's just in case god doesn't show i love that <laughs> yeah. line she goes over and picks out a butcher knife and a cleaver she gets killed like pretty soon after that i think <laughs> yeah, but, it didn't work out too well but she pulls out the butcher knife and the cleaver and she's like just in case god doesn't show i'm like that's so fucking metal yeah. man, 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 man. <laughs> yeah sometimes a good cheesy 80s line is, is what you got to celebrate absolutely all right let's talk about best scare uh what was your best scare in Pumpkinhead? there's this great scene it might have been right around that time um, where there's always a good window scare in these in these 80s movies. And this one, Pumpkinhead has a woman by the head, and he kind of shoves her up against a window. And everybody like, kind of freaks out because it's their friend, and there's this big hand like over her head. And he's kind of like rubbing her face up against the glass. Like, it's just freaky. It's a freaky, weird little like scene. And then he throws her through the glass. And like the setup for that and the jump scare payoff I thought was uh, pretty cool. I wonder, and I was actually thinking about that when I rewatched the movie, I wonder if there was any inspiration in that scene, I'm serious, of the classic sci-fi film Independence Day. Do you remember in the scene when the yeah. alien captures Mr. Data 
from yeah. Star Trek and he shoves him against the glass and then he talks to him through like the telepathic, you know, whatever. And yeah, and he's got like that kind of reminded me of that, like that girl being shoved up against the window and just kind of like being smushed against the window and like rubbed against the window kind of reminded me of that scene from Independence Day. Not, you're not you're not wrong about that. That does that does, is very reminiscent of that. I wonder if maybe there was a little inspiration there. You know, like I'm, I mean, I'm fine with it. That was a cool scene. I and like it. Stan Winston Day. inspires people constantly. And I like Independence Day. I fully admit, I love that movie. So, yeah, that's uh, a good one. My best scare again. It's not the most surprising scare. It's one you kind of see coming, but it's still good. Uh, is the scene when the one girl goes running out of the house and the brother who is not Joel. You know, runs after the one kind of responsible brother, the Chris. You know, Chris goes after the girl. Chris is the one who actually stayed behind with the little boy until the dad showed up. Like, he's the one responsible teenager of this entire group. Uh, he's out in the woods, and he's trying to run after this girl, telling her everything's going to be okay. And he ends up being Pumpkinhead's first victim. Pumpkinhead falls out of the tree and, like, snags this guy and chucks him into the woods and then kills him. Uh, and you know, beats him up pretty good during the, the whole time when they find him, he's pretty much slaughtered. Uh, I thought that was a pretty good jump scare. Cause when you're thinking about a monster movie, you think about like just the confrontation, the monster, the fact that like, they just kind of showed its arm, like reaching out for this guy and you don't see the rest of the monster yet. I thought that was pretty effective. Yeah. That's a good freaky little scene. There's a bunch of freaky little scenes. They're not like nothing, nothing like, you know, really great, like, like makes you shit your pants, but it's, there's definitely like a lot of freaky little moments. Yeah. Real good stuff. All right. Let's talk about best kill. Uh, there were a lot of kills in this movie. Uh, and obviously once pumpkin egg gets going, this guy's a machine, uh, or girl, it could be a girl. I don't know if it's yeah. a girl or a guy. Yeah. The, 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 the androgynous, uh, killing machine. Uh, what is your best kill in pumpkin head? Uh, there is a scene where he has one of the girls all the way up in this tree. And I mean, this tree looks impossibly high. This tree looks about 100 feet high. And he's way up in the tree and he's dangling her. And I just there was something so visually interesting about that shot. Like, it's such a weird shot that you don't normally see in these movies where it almost looks documentary and feel like it looked like I was watching someone really high up in a tree like this, like creature high up in a tree dangling a woman. It just looked and felt so real. And then, of course, he drops her from about 100 feet or whatever and, you know, kills her that way. But there was something like that. The, the what they pulled off there was so visually different. I just, I had to pick it for its uniqueness. Yeah, I like that scene a lot too. Man, did they drop her right down to the ground? Like, I kind of, oh, yeah. My only issue is I wish there had been a little bit more of a splat because, good Lord, from that distance, she would have gone splat. But it was a really yeah. good scene. It was a really effective scene. It was really good. It's just so weird how high up he is. Yeah. And, it, and it's like clear, like, I don't know. I don't, it doesn't look like there's any camera trickery. It's like they, they made a tree. Pro they probably designed the tree and made it super, super high and put, Pumpkinhead way the fuck up in a tree. And I was like, this is crazy. It yeah. was just a, it's a crazy practical effect. Yeah. I liked it a lot. Uh, my best kill was the death of Joel when Pumpkinhead stabs him with the shotgun. I thought that yeah. was really cool because obviously you think of guns, you think of, you know, a killing by gun, by gunfire. 
the fact that Pumpkinhead actually picks up the shotgun and jams it through Joel's sternum, I thought was a pretty cool and effective kill, something a little different. Like, he basically uses the gun to kill him, but not in the traditional sense of how you would kill someone with a firearm. I think stabbing the guy with a blunt gun through the stomach or through the chest, I thought that was pretty cool and a pretty effective uh, bit of uh, bit of effects. And again, you know, Stan Winston's a genius, so not a shock that it looks pretty good, but I thought that was kind of cool, like a different way to kill a guy and also different in the sense of using a gun for something other than being a gun. And also, we get the death of Joel, who's the biggest asshole in the entire film. Goodbye, Todd Gack. Uh, <laughs> let's talk about rewrite or recast of The Living Dead. Now, when I say recast The Living Dead, we're not going to, neither one of us are going to pick recast. I'll bury the lead here and tell people we're not picking recast. I will say, and part of the category, let me be clear for new listeners or anyone who hasn't heard this category on older episodes. Recast or rewrite of Living Dead. We're not rewriting the entire movie and we're not recasting the entire movie. You get to recast one part or rewrite one specific part of the movie. So we're not trying to like go in and be like, oh, I would cast this guy as this and this girl. So this is our point. Before I say that, I'm prefacing this by pointing out this one thing. This entire movie, and there has been rumors of a remake for years, since like 2017, there's been rumors of a reboot of this franchise. I'm all for it. I think if you get a really good yeah. studio behind it, like Blumhouse or, re and I'm talking like high end, this can't be like a straight to video thing. Like this has to be like a really well plotted out movie with great effects. Like put some money into the CGI and whatever else. There is a tremendous remake to be done of pumpkin. And it's not because I don't like the original. I actually really like the original. I've raved about a lot of elements of this movie, but I think if you take a really strong script and a really good director and, and cast out really solid actors, I would actually really like to see what they could do with a reboot of this movie. Hopefully it'd be good, but I think you could do a reboot of this movie that is really solid um, in general. So I'm not, I'm just saying that in general, I'm not going to go into details recast or rewrite of the living dead. Patrick, what do you got? Uh, I would rewrite this movie. And actually in, in all truth, they, they did put this in the movie. They just ended up cutting it out is that I thought, I thought that the, 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 the gang of dirt bike riders needed a little bit more development. Like you just kind of meet them. They land in this spot. They start dirt biking. It's all very sort of, uh, erratic. And, and then they're just on the run after the accident. You don't get to know them in any way, shape or form. And I thought it would have been, I thought it would have made it a little more interesting, especially for the, the people in the group that weren't bad and that didn't intend on any of this happening or trying to cover any of this up. Um, but it turns out there was a scene that was shot and everything that, where they introduced the group at a diner. It was eventually cut. And honestly, you know, this, this movie, I think the whole first act could have been reworked anyway, but that was the key element. I think this movie was missing was that this group that uh, Pumpkinhead was tracking down for revenge. I, I didn't know enough about them and it, it kind of, it, it was weird. It, it felt a little weird to me. Well, that's also, as I mentioned, this is the movie where you kind of root for the monster. And part of that is because, you know, I, I mean, Joel is really the one guy. I mean, Joel is the guy who's guilty. He's the one who kills the kid, even if it's an accident. He gets the most development anyway. Yeah, he's not, he's not, I don't, as much of an asshole as Joel is, I don't think he's meaning to kill the kid. He literally jumps over a hill and he kills the kid standing there and he can't avoid him and he kills him. Uh, but then he, you know, escalates it by running and all that kind of stuff. But like, uh, in that moment, like, I think that part of the reason why you can so openly root for Pumpkinhead to kill these people is because you don't really have any emotional connection to them. 
uh, beyond, you know, again, you want Joel to die because he's the asshole, but you don't really have any other emotional connection to them. So you're like, yeah, whatever, you know, Chris can die and Kim can die and all these <laughs> other, because you don't have any real connection to them because you don't know them. You know what I mean? Like if you knew them, then you actually start tearing at the emotional, you know, uh, heartstrings, so to speak. Like, yeah, you want revenge for the kid, but you kind of feel bad that these other people are getting caught in the crossfire because they didn't type te- they didn't technically do anything. You know what I mean? So but you don't really, I don't really feel that with this movie because I don't really know any of the other kids. So I don't really care. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not like, I don't really, I don't have any connection to Kim. So if you kill Kim, who cares about Kim? <laughs> well, that is exact. May achieve that for sure. Yeah. Uh, my rewrite is a little bit like that, but, but I'm actually going to say something you mentioned. Rewrite the opening of this movie. And when I say yeah. that, here's my idea. Uh, instead of, you know, doing all like they had this opening scene where you see Ed Hartley's little kid, you're introduced to Pumpkinhead for the first time. And, and he kind of, I, I don't, you don't need any of that. You, you just, you know, rumors around small towns stick around forever. He would have heard of Pumpkinhead just in general. You know what I mean? Uh, you figure out another way. Here's what I would have done. You introduce the kids. So you get your part, the introduction to the kids, you know, whatever, and then I think you take it into like a drunk driving accident where Ed Harley and his kid are driving. The drunk teenagers come along. The one asshole guy is driving who refused to give his keys over to his friends, but they're trying to look out for him. So they all pile into the car with him. They hit accident. Kid dies. They all leave the scene because of course he thinks he's going to get caught a little bit of, I know what you did last summer. You know what I mean? Right. That movie, a little bit of that where it's like, you know, these kids, like you don't, you know, they're not evil. You know, they're not, you know, the one guy is kind of the asshole, but like not the entire group. They're not all terrible people, but they did do something wrong and they try to cover it up. And then the revenge factor comes back in. So you shorten it to just like the opening scene is literally them driving along. You introduce the kids in the car, 15 minutes by that 15 minute mark, you get into the car accident, the kid's dead. And then you pick up on everything else. I think that is a much cleaner you know, opening, it gets you to Pumpkinhead a little bit quicker, but also it introduces the kids. So you get, you know, you, you, again, let's just play the, I know what you did last summer. Like you could play the, you know, the, 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 um, uh, you know, the Freddie Prince Jr. Who's kind of like a good guy. And you got the, uh, uh, what's her name? Um, not Sarah Michelle Geller, the other girl in that movie. Oh, uh, Jennifer Love Hewitt. Jennifer right? Love Hewitt. Who's obviously you know, America's sweetheart. She's totally sweet. Like whatever. And then you have kind of like the one asshole in the movie, who, who, you know, obviously Ryan Phillippe, who's kind of like the asshole in the movie, who, you know, all that kind of, like, he's the one driving and all that kind of stuff. You had the one asshole, but then you have, like, the other three characters who aren't as dislikable, and, you know, you're not really rooting for them to die. Uh, you build them up early in the first ten minutes, then you introduce Ed and his kid, and, like, you know, you get across that he's a single dad and all this kind of stuff. Car crash, kid dies, teenagers flee, there's your movie. You know what I mean? And then it could just be almost again, not trying to rewrite. I know what you did last summer, but it could be a lot like that. Like these kids try to go back home and, you know, start their lives again and try to move past this tragedy. The father never moves past it. And so he seeks out Pumpkinhead to go kill these kids. I think mm-hmm. that would be a little tighter of a plot. It allows you to introduce the character, the, the teenagers give them a little bit more, you know, scenery to chew on. And I don't think you need, I mean, I'm not saying you don't need to develop Ed Hardy and his son, but again, you put a six-year-old kid in a, in a seat and you kill him early on, you're going to feel sympathy for that dad. You know what I mean? Like you don't need yeah. to know that he's a single dad and the mom died and the whole grocery store, like you don't need any of that. You know, the kid dying 
much like John Wick. Like you don't really know much about John Wick to the point when you obviously you hear the story of his fiance and everything, but like the dog, you know, you understand the connection to the dog kind of the same thing here. You don't need much deeper. You just need like a few minutes with the dog with the dad and the son. When the son dies, you don't need anything else to know why you want to, why you want revenge. Cause the kid died. You know what I mean? Like that's all you need to know. Uh, the, the, the teenagers flushing them out a little bit more and then kind of condensing that opening. I think that would make this a tighter movie. Yeah, no, I mean, the, the first act needs to be reworked. There's no question about it. And we said before the podcast, this is a movie that's ripe for a remake. And it, and you wouldn't do the original any disservice in that respect. No, and I, again, you don't, I mean, you could totally rewrite it and just call it Pumpkinhead. You don't have to, re, you don't have to, you could acknowledge Ed Harley. You could say this is a sequel. You know, you could just go in and say we're just like they're doing with Halloween and now they're doing with... Uh, uh, the Exorcist, they're doing with uh, um, Texas Chainsaw. Chainsaw. Like they're just pretending the other sequels don't exist. Just go in, and you could bring up Ed Harley for. I mean, you know, Lance Hendrickson is still out there somewhere. Like, bring him in as the old haggis woman or some shit. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> let him play the old haggard witch. You know, like that kind of thing, uh, and just do a pumpkin. You don't have to like. You know, there has to be no grand plan of like remaking it. Just do a sequel, but don't yeah. you know? Don't make it. You know. Don't uh, just take the same elements. Kids driving drunk, they kill a kid. Kid's father wants revenge. It's not that hard. And I think you get a tighter movie and you have a chance to develop the teenage characters like what you wanted a little bit more. Yeah, I agree. All right. Last category before we get out of here, Patrick, is it scary? This is the category we always close the show on. So at the end of the day, Pumpkinhead, is it scary? I thought it had some freaky imagery, and I thought I think if I would have seen it as a kid, it would have it would have uh, buried itself under my skin in a little bit different of a way. But I, I found it pedestrian at times, like a little bit too mellow. And so I'm gonna say it's a is it scary? No, I don't think it's really scary. Yeah, I I disagree to a point. I think it is kind of scary, and what I mean by that is. It's a, it's a good horror film. Is it truly terrifying? Is it truly scary in the traditional sense of a horror film? No. There was no moment where I was like chilling under my covers. Like I can't bear <laughs> to look at what Pumpkinhead is doing. But I think in the traditional sense of horror films, in terms of like good scary moments, the creature coming after these kids, these kids being terrified, I thought it was pretty solid in that regard. So for an 80s horror film, I would say, yeah, it's pretty good, pretty scary. And as I said, if you do a remake the right way, it can be truly terrifying. Like I, there is a version of this movie you could make in 2021 oh, yeah. or beyond. It would be absolutely terrifying. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it's actually a really interesting watch, but that doesn't necessarily translate to scary, which some lesser uh, slasher flicks and, and horror movies from the eighties uh, I thought were, were sort of atmospherically more scary than this. That's just me. Um, but I, I do think this is an interesting movie to watch. Yeah, I enjoyed this movie. I mean, I enjoyed yeah. it when I saw it years ago, and I was surprised. I was I was a little worried because unlike a lot of my favorite horror movies from the 80s that I've rewatched several times since the 80s, this was one I don't know that I've seen outside of maybe watching like a televised version on sci-fi, not like the the shitty sequel right. like the original they might show it like around halloween or something i might have seen caught like a half hour of it here or there but i definitely have not seen this movie all the way through since like the early 90s 
And I was kind of worried, like, oh, man, is it going to hold up? And you know what? It did. I, I really enjoyed it, especially the plot and the development and the and the kind of subversion of the expectation, meaning you're rooting for the monster in some ways. You know, you're kind of like, OK, get your revenge because, like, you feel bad for this father losing his kid. And again, a little different, you know, twist on this kind of a genre of film. So in that way, I really did like it. And overall, I thought Pumpkinhead was pretty solid. I do want to see the Ed Hardy version of Pumpkinhead. I'm excited for that. Yeah, dig up those hundred and twenty dollar trucker hats, folks. We're gonna make the we're gonna make the Ed Hardy version of Pumpkinhead, where he just seeks out those brands and kills them all for good. Uh, because good God, do they need to be killed off for good? Uh, the early 2000s just suck. Fashion, man. I'm not saying I'm I'm not saying I'm like, you know, fashion play, but like, you know, what was that? What was that? Von Dutch and all that brand? Yep, like, Von oh, Dutch, oh, Ed Hardy, Affliction. Oh, man. Yeah. I, I Listen, I'm all for buying a nice T-shirt. I am not buying a $90 T-shirt. I'm sorry. There's no T. <laughs> there's literally no T-shirt on earth that is worth $90. I'm sorry. It's not not happening. I, I don't think there is. No. I will, I'll go to the flea market buy a shirt before I will buy a $90 t-shirt. I somewhere. will seek revenge on all of you <laughs> by summoning Pumpkinhead, who dare spend $90 plus on a t-shirt. Yeah, Ed Hardy's going to be coming for us once they're out of bankruptcy <laughs> or whatever they're doing now. Uh, all right, folks, we're going to get out of here. Obviously, want to say a big thank you to each and every one of you that tunes in to Rewind of the Living Dead. Make sure you check us out on all your favorite podcast platforms, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify. Make sure you are also going over to my website to check out the podcast, nerdcoremovement.com. If you have questions, comments, movies you want us to review, anything you want to have to say about the show, please hit us up on Twitter. You can follow me at Damon Martin, and you are? At Director Patrick. All right, folks, we're going to get out of here for another week of Rewind of the Living Dead. We appreciate you all tuning in. We will see you next week for another edition of the show. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you then. Peace.